0: as we get to the point, grab your Bible, go with me to Colossians chapter three, Colossians chapter three. In just a minute, we're going to look at verse 18 down through chapter four and verse number one. While you're turning there, uh, let me uh, make a couple of announcements, if, if I may. Is Terrell Davis or Bob Murphy here today? I don't know the, the global business guys. I don't looking around. I don't coming afterwards. All right. Great guys uh, doing some great ministry in Guatemala. If you're interested uh, this coming March, uh, to be a part of a mission trip. It's actually the week of spring break. Uh, then I invite you to join that. And then if you'd like to hang around and chat with uh, myself and the staff about the church and what God is doing, uh, lunch next door immediately afterwards. Uh, also, after the service today, there uh, we have placed the budget for 2020 uh, out in the lobby. And today and next Sunday, we have what is called listening sessions, where you're able to look over the budget. And if you have any questions, uh, you can see our uh, finance team and our LMT team and ask questions about that, as well as, uh, let me emphasize again, Brother Joe's new role in the church as executive pastor, uh, looking over different aspects of the ministry. Uh, He'll be in there as well. And so if you have any questions, that's immediately after this service in Connecting Point Cafe. One other thing you may have noticed in the uh, pre-service scroller, There was a video about a heartbeat bill in the state of Florida, uh, just that our state would recognize that life begins with a heartbeat. And there is a a petition going around. Some of those petitions are out in the lobby. Uh, When you leave the service today, stop by, pick one of those up, and fill it out. You can leave it here with us. Uh, You can turn it in at the new uh, table or put it in the office, and we'll collect those over the next uh, few days and get those in the proper place. And then, uh, I don't want to be redundant, but uh, John mentioned next Sunday night is our annual Thanksgiving gathering at 5 o'clock. Uh, we'll have a communion here in the auditorium, a time of praise and worship. I'll bring a brief challenge. Uh, Lord willing, we're hoping to baptize and have some folks uh, actually join the church next Sunday night. We're kind of making that the all-in uh, Sunday for November, and then we'll go next door and have a time of a fellowship together in the fellowship hall, uh, the services at 5, and then we'll head. Uh, next door for that immediately after uh, our gathering. Good to see the Yates. I just saw y'all as I glanced down here uh, from Memphis visiting with us. We're glad to have y'all in the service today. Colossians chapter 3, we continue our journey. Uh, We will finish up next Sunday uh, our study in Colossians. Today we find ourselves at a very non-controversial passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. I had someone this morning tell me, They said, man, I was reading that this week, and I was thinking, man, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about that. And uh, if you haven't looked yet, verse number 18 is, wives, submit to your husbands. So I struggled through that passage all week this week, and finally, Misty gave me permission yesterday to preach on it, all right? And so here we go. Hear the word of the Lord, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. We've been looking at this series. It's all about Jesus, and today it is Jesus in our relationships Primarily in the home. Hear the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And may God add His blessings to the reading of His Word. Would you pray with me? Bow your head. and I want you to ask God through the Holy Spirit to give you exactly what you need from this text today. Ask God to speak to you. God, we thank you for your word that is inspired, infallible, and errant. And we read it today and we know that it is it's relevant for today. We know that in it, it teaches us about the most important relationship that we have, our relationship with Christ. And how that relationship guides, shapes, and directs all of the other relationships. And that includes our homes. And so as we walk through this text in the next few minutes, give us ears to hear. Help us to not be stubborn or obstinate. Help us not to focus on the what ifs and the case scenarios, which is so easy to do in a text like this. But help us to focus on the written Word that is directed to all of us. We pray that You'll save the sinner that is lost and without Christ. I pray that for all Christians in this room, there would be clarity about gospel fruit being born in our lives, in our relationships. And I pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said. Amen. Misty and I were on vacation last week and we were in a place where a wedding was taking place. And uh, we were there a couple of days before the wedding with a lot of the wedding party, and so we interacted with them and I got to know them just a little bit, and so it kind of made us excited about the wedding, you know, getting to see it and observe it. Along with the fact there was a wedding planner or coordinator there and uh, they had everything planned out to the T. The coordinator had, of course, a, a sheet of paper there on the property and uh, actually more than one sheet of paper about how everything was supposed to happen, where everybody was supposed to sit and how they were going to walk in and where the, the pictures were going to be taken, where the, the ceremony, the wedding party would stand. And then over here is where the the, the party afterwards, right, where the The food is going to be, and the DJ is going to be over here, and the bride and groom are going to sit here, and uh, all of these beautiful decorations. And so, man, we were excited, and we were getting geared up for the moment. This beautiful wedding. Everyone wants their wedding to go off without a glitch, right? I, I, I don't need to chase this rabbit, but several years ago, I was doing a wedding where the candles were lit, and the flowers around it caught on fire. You know, no one planned for that. Well, in this particular wedding, they didn't have in the script that one of the community dogs would show up in the middle of the ceremony. So the groomsman that was standing on the end turned toward the ceremony. This dog picked him out and began to charge at him, and he immediately turned to try to get the dog to go the other direction. And when he did, he tripped over the chair on the end of the front row. Well, as the dog spun around, he didn't go... The way the groomsman wanted him to go, he spun around and went right into the middle of the group and was headed directly for all of the bridesmaids. And there they stood in their beautiful, long, flowing dresses, makeup, perfect, beautiful bouquet of flowers that immediately turned into a self-defense mechanism. And they began to shoo the dog and try to get the dog to get out of the middle. Can I be honest for a minute, confession booth here? It was glorious to watch. It was glorious. As the ceremony proceeded, we sat there listening to the officiant's remarks. We listened to the man and the woman exchange their feelings for each other and make their version of a commitment to each other. And of course, uh, they were pronounced husband and wife, and everyone clapped and cheered, and they celebrated, and... Then they moved over to another area where they had great food and great entertainment. And Misty and I sat there in discussion about what all we were seeing. And the subject came up that there was one person noticeably missing from this entire event. There was no mention of God. There was no prayer offered to God. There was no seeking of God's blessings upon this family. You know, as Christians, everywhere we go, it doesn't matter where we're at, we are constantly looking with a biblical worldview. We are looking through a lens that is in conflict with a non-religious, secular world. And here's what we know with the lack of acknowledgement of God, there will also be someone who will regularly show up in the home uninvited, not just at the ceremony, but in the marriage and in the family as they move forward. There is an enemy that shows up who wants to divide and separate and tear apart the family unit. We've been studying through Colossians and How glorious it has been. I have so enjoyed my study as we have really dug deep into who Christ is and and Christ, what Christ has done for us, what Christ does in us, what Christ does through us. We have meticulously looked at verse by verse at how Christ in us is the hope of glory. And I listened last Sunday to Pastor John as he did such an outstanding job preaching part two of the sermon on out with the old and in with the new. If you have your Bible open, uh, back there in verse number 12, he talked about as we are God's chosen ones that that we have compassionate hearts, that we're filled with kindness and meekness, that we're patient with one another, that we are forbearing with one another, that, that we are a forgiving people. Verse 14, above all else, Christ has poured His love out in us, so we're to pour that love out on others. And through that, we can experience the peace of Christ ruling and reigning in our lives. We have a spirit of thanksgiving. Verse 16, the Word of God is effective. It is actual in our lives. We are are people of joy that love to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of thanksgiving in our God. And because Christ is in us, we progress and we move forward in life with a spirit that whatever we do, in word or in deed, everything we do, we do it in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, giving thanks and praise to our God for what He has done in us and through us. When I read verses 12 through 17 it feels like to me that it is kind of a, this positive Christian life tidal wave of joy and thanksgiving that kind of spills over into verse number 18, which means it spills over into our homes. How many of you know that there is not a place in this culture where we live out the gospel greater than in our family unit? Than in our homes. We dream before we were married of a fairy tale wedding, right? We dream of a fairy tale marriage where everything is going to be great and everything's going to go just like we wanted it to go. And I, I've heard people say, Man, they they are just the perfect couple, or or men, they have the perfect marriage. Well, I certainly know that there are some healthy marriages. And healthy homes, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. You know why? Because we are broken people. And let me add that a healthy marriage can turn toxic really quick. And some marriages that appear to be healthy can actually, underneath the surface, be very toxic. And what we want people to perceive we are, sometimes we are not. Have you ever said that's the last couple or the last family that I ever thought would fall apart. I read a couple of books while I was on break. One I read was Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire by Jim Symbola, the story of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, how through prayer and a mighty moving of the Holy Spirit, God began to change lives. And man, it really spoke to my heart about how God is still at work today and we need to be a praying people expecting uh, His Holy Spirit to do supernatural things. When I finished that book, I went right into this one by Trevin Wax. I think John mentioned it last Sunday in his sermon, uh, This Is Our Time. Trevin told us that he wrote most of this book right out here on Perdido Key. But the subtitle to the book is Everyday Myths in Light of the Gospel. The myths in our culture, and he compares that to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me say, I, I purchased some of these, and they're out in the lobby out here. I think there were six copies I put out there this morning. They're $10 a piece. If you want to get some great insight about culture and the gospel, Trevin is very gifted in his writing, and this book has really, really blessed me to read. But when you get to chapter 6, page 137, he begins to write about myths in our culture about getting married and then myths about the home. And he talks about in there that so many folks think of marriage as finding the perfect soulmate. If I just find the perfect person, the perfect person for me, we'll get married and we'll live in bliss with no issues. How many of you know that's not even reality? You know why? Here's the reason why. Look on the screen. Tim Keller, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. Define marriage this way. Marriage is two flawed people coming together to create a space of stability, love, and consolation. Any two people who enter into marriage are spiritually broken by sin, which among other things means to be self-centered. Now, can you just kind of digest that and meditate on this statement for just a minute? It's not Scripture, but I think it's a really good definition, all right? A couple of things. Marriage is between two flawed people, two broken people, two self-centered people. After the service this morning, we were fellowshipping next door, and a, a couple came up to me kind of laughing, and they said, you know, you would preach this sermon after this week. Man, we had a rough three days. And I said, well, look, I've got the answer for all your problems. Here it is. You ready? You're both self-centered. You know how I know that? Because I'm self-centered. And, and so and so Keller's just saying, look, we can't have this fairy tale imagination that when you come into the marriage, everything's going to be perfect because it's two people who are flawed. And when you know you're broken and you know you're flawed, then you know how much you need Jesus every day. You see, salvation is not just about fire insurance. Salvation is about Christ in me, the hope of glory, Christ living in me and through me. And so that relationship is strong with Christ. Therefore, it affects my relationship with those around me. Now let's look at the text really quick. Three aspects of our relationships and how Jesus affects them. Here we go. Ready? Ready? In verses 18 and 19, Paul writes about the husband and the wife. Here it is. You ready? Wives, submit to your husbands because this is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh toward them. Now, you hear me say often, when you read a text, you need to look at the background and the context, and you need to know the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. How many of you know that those two verses look differently in different cultures? Those two verses look differently in different time frames. Let me expand this just a little bit. Let's look at what a family looked like back in uh, Roman law, and then let's take just a minute and talk about what it looked like under Jewish law. How many of you in your Greek philosophy class heard the name Aristotle, all right? How many of you were as bored as I was during that section? 300 years before the birth of Christ, Aristotle wrote about the family unit, and he said this, The primary connection of the household is master-slave, husband and wife, and parents and children. In the Roman culture, this was called household codes. The coding of the family. Master, slave, husband and wife, parents and children. In the family unit, everyone was under the authority of the patriarch. The man of the family. And inside the family unit, it was not just a place to raise your family. It was also the place a business for the family. Greek history suggests that the home was not typically a place of peace, love, and nourishment. Ladies, listen to this. Women were typically married off at a young age as more of a business proposition. Women were treated as a possession, something to be owned. When children would come along they were treated the exact same way. If a child grew up and did not revere the patriarch, did not follow the patriarch, agree with the patriarch and support the patriarch, they would write that child a bill of divorce. The man would divorce the wife and kick her out of the family would literally divorce his children so that they had no rights to the family business. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we were in James chapter 1 and verse 27 and we were talking about what pure religion is, pure religion undefiled before the fathers that we do what? We visit the the orphans, the widows and the fatherless. You know why that verse is so important or was so important at that time? It's because of the background that I'm giving you. Many of the women and the children were kicked out to live on the street and to fend for themselves. Let's talk about the Jewish law. William Barclay writes about the Jewish law that a woman was just a thing. A woman was a possession. She was possessed by her husband and... She was equal with the house, equal with the land, equal with all of his material goods. The woman had no rights whatsoever. Under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, while the wife had absolutely no right to initiate any type of separation. In the Greek society, women were demanded to complete servitude. It was demanded of them complete chastity to their husband, but the husband could go out and do whatever he pleased, could have as many girlfriends or wives' relationship as he wanted, and there was nothing that ever came of that. Under both the Jewish and the Greek laws, all the privileges belong to the man, and all the duties and responsibilities belong to the wife. Now, I hope you're sitting there right now going, good grief, are you serious? I hope that you're going, man, that's not right. And I'm sure you're going, how in the world could a woman survive emotionally? How could she be well in that type of environment, being treated like a possession? Let's go a step further. In verse number 18, Paul begins this section by telling the wives, that they need to submit to their husbands and their motive in doing that must be that it is fitting to the Lord. Now let's get honest here for just a minute. The question is this. If they're, treat, if they're treated culturally, like I just described for you a moment ago, why would Paul tell them to submit? Because if you're being oppressed and you're being pushed down You're being beat down. You're being mistreated. The last thing in the world you want to be told is to submit. Can I get an amen right there? We've got to remember who Paul is writing to. Paul is not writing to the Jews. He's not writing to the Roman culture. Paul is writing to Christians. Because in Christ, all things are new. In Christ, in Christ we have been resurrected to a new life in Jesus so when that happens am I speaking to a crowd this morning that believes Christian families are supposed to be different from society we shouldn't blend in we're supposed to be different let me ask you a question why are we here 2000 years later And verses like verse number 18 in Ephesians chapter 5 create so much angst for us. Why did I have to ask Misty if I could preach on this today? Right? Come on, let's be honest a minute, right? That's why some of you, I can't wait to hear what Tim has to say today, right? Why does this create so much angst? I'll tell you why. There's There's a variety of reasons, I think a mile long, but none taking second place to the fact that verse number 18 has been abused. It has been abused. It's been abused by preachers. It's been abused by men who think that this gives them the right to put the woman in her place. Now let's do a quick word study. 38 times in the New Testament, Paul writes about submission or subjection, subjecting yourself. Okay, 23 of those times, Paul writes about the word subjection or the word submission in two different tenses. This is very important. The first is the active tense. When he uses it, this submission or subjection is the power that belongs to Christ. Look on the screen, Philippians 3 and verse 21. Who, speaking of Jesus, will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even, here it is, to subject all things to Himself. It's the same word there as submit. What does it mean? It means that all things come up under the authority of Jesus. The Scripture says, All authority has been given into me both in heaven and the earth. We are subjected. We are under the power of Jesus christ and so paul uses that word in an active tense to talk about how we are subjected along with creation under Christ's authority the second way the word is used is a middle voice tense watch this is important it's used to denote a choice it's a choice that we make so in other words it's voluntary it's not something that's forced It's actually an act of humility. Let me illustrate it even further. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 21 says that as Christians we are to submit ourselves to one another. Now here's uh, Tim Baldwin here on the front. He's got a really cool first name, okay? My name's Tim. That wasn't funny, was it? All right. So Tim and I are Christian brothers, right? So when we come together, The Scripture says we're to submit to one another as Christian brothers. We don't approach each other thinking that we're better than the other one. We don't approach each other as if we are pressing down in authority on each other. But no, we approach each other in the spirit and the act of humility looking for the opportunity to bless or to serve one another. This is illustrated so greatly by our lord and savior in john chapter 13 when he walks in the room and his disciples want to wash his feet but what did our lord and savior do remember the one who had all authority he grabbed the towel and put it around his waist and he knelt down and began to wash his disciples feet what a great act of humility right jesus gave us an example and that example i believe fits into ephesians 5 21 it's that we willingly and we voluntarily we are not forced to do it it is a choice that we make to act in humility ladies in colossians chapter 3 and verse number 18 the tense of the verb there denotes a choice it's not voluntary and it's not forced But it is how God's Word describes the role of a woman in Christian marriage. Now when I read the text a minute ago, it says, Children, obey your parents. Masters or or, uh, servants, obey your masters. The text does not say, Ladies, obey your husbands. It says, Submit to your husbands. This is commanded by the Lord. Warren Wiersbe says that this idea of submission doesn't have anything to do with someone being smarter or better or more talented. It has to do with God-appointed order. And I would say that in the Coleman house. Misty is smarter, better than I am. But it just has to do with God's order. How many of you either have served or are serving in the military right now? Wave at me we want to say thank you for your service god bless you and thank you i think you guys and girls understand what this is about because in the military you have rank and it's it's about order right and because you have rank with order and authority it does not mean that someone that is a lesser rank couldn't be smarter than someone standing above them right no, it's, it's about role. It's, it's about function. It's not about your smarts. It's not about how valuable you are or what your abilities are. It's just about orderliness. Ladies, please hear me just a minute. Submission in the Bible is about order. It's about order in the home. That you come under your husband. And I don't need to chase this rabbit. I would really like to, but I don't have time It's also about order in the church. How God has instituted men to be pastors and leaders in the church. It's what the Bible says. Now men, let me speak to us for just a minute. If we would devalue the ladies' role, if we would have an attitude in our role that causes the ladies to have a sad spirit or an oppressed spirit, that causes the ladies to resent us and not want to submit to us, shame on us. Because in verse number 19, men, we see that our attitude and our heart must be right. Our hearts must be filled with love. Look at me for just a minute. I want you to think culturally in the 50s. Remember, Paul is writing into this Roman and Jewish culture, Greek culture, the ladies have already been told to submit. Right? That was nothing new. What is new is what Paul says to the men. Men, stop acting like jerks. Quit treating your wife as a possession and start loving her and taking care of her. Don't speak harshly to her. Don't talk to her like she's a dog in the street. Cherish her. Lift her up, because that is God's plan. Warren Wiersbe said, men, it's not headship, it's not dictatorship or lordship, it's leadership. It's Christ-centered leadership. Look at me. In the Scriptures, it is very clear that in God's eyes, before God Almighty, there is equality with men and women. He loves us all the same. He values us all the same. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul wrote, There's not a difference between the bond or the free. There is no difference in Christ's eyes between the male and the female. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. But that does not mean we have the same role or the same function. Ladies, it's not God's plan for you to rule over your husband. That's not God's plan. Men, it's God's plan for us to care for the interest of our wife, to meet her needs. And Paul says to agape her, to love her with the highest form of love. Trevin said in this chapter, chapter 6, something that really jumped out to me. Look on the screen. He said that love is not what makes marriage work. Marriage is what makes love work. I think that's good because sometimes we talk about falling in love or or we feel we feel goosebumps right oh i think i'm in love well no let's let's take a step back i really hope you'll read his chapter on marriage matters it is so good where he goes back historically and talks about how marriages for centuries were arranged and you really didn't have time to figure out whether or not you were falling in love it just happened. He talks about his grandparents and how they were married for decades and, and they fell in love after they got married, not before they got married. Now that's totally against culture today, right? But here's what happens today. We, we get some kind of romantic feeling and we rush into marriage and relationship and then it doesn't last, right? Because we don't have the right kind of foundation that God wants us to have. We are in a covenant relationship with christ i'm speaking to christians now we're in a covenant relationship with christ and then when we get married we're in a covenant relationship with our partner and we're supposed to work at our marriage right we're supposed to work at it we're supposed to get lined up with scripture we're supposed to do it god's way not our way and i found out when we do it god's way that he blesses it amen now, before we get on to the parents and the children, let me pause for just a minute and say, one of the reasons maybe why mom and dad and children, those things are out of sorts, is because the first one's out of sorts. So let's stop and make sure we get our marriages right before the Lord. So the second relationship, not just husband and wife, but the second one is parents and children. And some of the parents are going, man, I cannot wait for Pastor Tim to get on this. Straighten our kids out, right? What does it say? Children, listen up. Verse number 20. Obey your parents in all matters. Why should I do this? I should do it because it is pleasing to the Lord. You know what that word obey denotes? It denotes being a listener. Now come on, let's get honest here for just a minute. Some of us that are a little bit older, we probably need to raise both of our hands. How many of you can remember at times when you just tuned your mama and daddy out? You just reached over with that imaginary volume button or knob and you just turned them down and you ignored them. That illustration is the exact opposite of what Paul writes here about obedience. Parents, can we just come together and have a therapy session here for a minute about parenting and can we all agree that it is not for the faint of heart? And can I say to the children, to our children, some of which are mine are sitting right over here, That it's not easy sometimes being a parent. I'm grateful for our families. Some of our families in our church have almost completed a parenting course on Wednesday night. And I I just admire parents who want to do that. Who acknowledge that we need to grow and we need to get better at what we're doing. That we're not perfect. And we're trying to learn and we're trying to understand. Why? Because we bring children into the world and all children need leadership. All children need loving discipline. How about this? Those children need leadership and loving discipline from the two broken people that are the reason they're in this world, right? And so as parents, we have to grow and we have to learn and and sometimes we have to to, to learn new ways of parenting or, or maybe learn to do things differently than we have learned in the past. It's our job we're supposed to set boundaries and we're to lead our children into the gospel, into gospel health. Parents, it's God's will that we teach our children to obey. It's God's will that we train them. You know, some kids today are not really worried about this thing of obedience because they've been trained that obedience is optional parents it's our responsibility to lead our home the children are not to be in charge the children are not to control and run and paralyze our home dad and mom that's our job that's our responsibility i look around today and i'm I'm not thinking of anybody in particular but you know how it is sometimes i see kids and my heart breaks And I'm not thinking they need to be taken out behind the woodshed. I'm thinking mom and daddy does, right? Because mom and dad is absent. Mom and dad is not doing their job. And let me say to the children, children, young people, if you're old enough to to process this uh, text today, and you're a Christian, God's Word says... Children are to obey what their parents tell them to do 100% of the time. Why should I do this? Because it pleases the Lord. It honors your parents. It pleases the Lord. Look at verse number 21. Fathers. That word is translated in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23 as parents. It includes both mom and dad. So I would say it's appropriate to apply this verse to both mom and dad and to say, parents, we are not to discourage, defeat or cause our children to lose heart. We aren't to beat them down and oppress them and ride them. We are to teach them and train them and love them and provide for them. My 13 years of being a student pastor, more than once, I had to say to some parents with teenagers, there are some heels that are not worth dying on. And you may win that battle and you may be right in your mind, but what you're ultimately doing is driving your son or your daughter away with something that's not a heel to die on. And so let me let me bring it back real quick into the family. Husband and wife in Christ, pleasing to the Lord, loving one another who love and bring their children into this world and train them in the gospel to live for Christ and make a difference. Can I say to you in 2019, please don't underestimate the power and the value of the family unit in our culture. It makes such a big difference. Especially when we look around and see the family unit kind of falling apart. Can you rewind in your mind a little bit to the 50s when Paul writes this? Can you put that Roman and Jewish culture backdrop up against how families are now supposed to function with love and grace and forgiveness and kindness? I love G.K. Chesterton. He said something that I think is so simple, but it's so profound. He said, an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children literally, alter the destiny of nations. I'm telling you, that is one powerful statement right there. Wouldn't it be just like our creator to design it that way? An ordinary man, an ordinary woman with ordinary children changing the destiny of nations. That's what you see in Colossians chapter 3 with the Christian home. Let me finish. The third group or relationship that Christ affects in this text is the master and the slave. The master and the slave. Now, I'm going to make an application in just a moment for the work setting, but before I do that, I think it's very important. We'll call that the boss and the employee. Before we race off into that, there's some really good principles here in the text for our work as our worship. But we must get the context of what Paul is writing about here. Again, we're still inside the family unit where Aristotle said the code was master, slave, husband, wife, parents, and children. Remember the family, the patriarch, was running his business through the family and one of the other possessions that many of them obtained was a slave. It would purchase people on the slave market or they would be traded as employees of the home of the family. And if you study history, some of those situations went quite well. Some of them, the slaves were loved and treated fairly and even received the name of the family. But unfortunately, most of them were mistreated. They were just a possession to be owned. And no doubt, they were were abused. They were overworked. They were underpaid. They were certainly considered to be the outcasts, the the lowest of the rung in this society. At this time in the Roman Empire, there were millions of slaves. So here the gospel comes, and the gospel penetrates men and women and children and families, and the gospel makes it to people who find themselves in slavery. Now, what am I supposed to? How do I respond to this? Quite honestly, this can be a complicated subject because we're two thousand years down the road, and trying to process this text is difficult. But I want to bring your attention to something that Paul said in First Corinthians chapter seven and verse twenty-one to these slaves who were becoming Christians. He said, "Were you a bond servant? Were you a slave when called? A slave when called? In other words, when you became a Christian." was your job or your role to be a slave. Paul said, don't be concerned about it. And then in parentheses he said, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. So if you can get out of this, do it, but do it the right way. It's it's okay for you to, to move out of slavery into another role, but the truth is in this culture in this society, it was nearly impossible. This is just the way society functions. So, so for those slaves who became Christians, how should they respond to their role in society? Well, verse 22, Paul's very clear. He tells them to obey their masters. To not be a people pleaser. To, to not just see the master coming and get busy, like, oh, I'm busy over here working. Don't work to be an eye-pleaser. But do what you do with sincerity of heart, pleasing, fearing the Lord. I love verse 23. I memorized it as a kid. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. How many of you realize more and more that you cannot separate your Christian faith from your everyday life? Everywhere you go, everything you do, remember? Misty and I sitting there observing that wedding. Oh, it was beautiful. It was great. But we were looking at it through that gospel lens and we were saying, hey, something's something's just not right here. And many of you, even on your job right now, you're, you're struggling through the fact that something is just not right. Or maybe you have a boss or a supervisor that's mean and harsh and unkind and doesn't value you or doesn't treat you. I promise you, you are not in any condition that is worse than what these slaves were in. And what did Paul tell them? Paul told them to remember that their work is worship. Christian, look at me, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to the end here. God sent you here today for me to remind you that when you go to work tomorrow, people are watching you. People are watching how you respond. People are watching you when you're mad and angry and frustrated or when you're disrespectful. And I'm not devaluing your feelings or or devaluing right and wrong by people that are in authority over you. What I am saying is that Paul gives us a look into how we should work and we should be mindful that our work is actually worship. That when you go to work in the morning, you're on your way, remind yourself that Monday is not for man. Monday is for God. God, what I'm going to do today is going to provide for my family. I pray that it will be pleasing to you. How can we do that? Verse 24 says, because we know the one who is going to reward us, we know that what we're actually doing is serving the Lord Christ and those that do us wrong, they're going to be paid back for the wrong they do. There is no partiality. And then, Verse number one of chapter four reminds us if anybody in the room would be a business owner, you have people working for you, you have people up under you, you need to remember as well that you're a Christian and that you need to treat people justly and fairly. I heard a statement several years ago actually by a basketball coach who said this, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. So in other words, wherever you're at even on your job you need to be the Christian that God wants you to be even in the workplace. It's all about Christ, right? It's all about Jesus. What He's done for us what He's done in us and what He's done through us. That should affect all of our relationships. But it begins with a relationship with Him, have you ever truly acknowledged that you're a sinner? Believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed your sin and confessed Him as Lord. Have you truly been born again? I didn't say pray a prayer or get baptized. I said truly been born again. If Christ lives in you, then He is going home with you after this service. And He's going with you to work tomorrow. And He's going to be with you when you're parenting your children. Every aspect of our life is shaped and framed by our relationship with Christ. Let's pray together.